Hi, and welcome to IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. I'm Chris O'Fault, the editor of the Toolkit. We talk about the state of movies and them being better or worse and kind of nostalgic for older days. There's always something that I feel that we as modern cinephiles take for granted. And that is that virtually every year, one of the greatest filmmakers of all time puts out a masterpiece. If you've seen Frederick Wiseman's latest films like Jackson Heights and Berkeley and National Gallery, you know that at age 87, he is still working at his absolute peak. And then this month marks the 50th anniversary of Titty Cotton Follies, Wiseman's first film, which was set at the Bridgewater Hospital for the Criminally Insane in Massachusetts. And as a result, there's all these tributes going on. You've probably seen the big New York Times piece. Robert Greene sat down with him for a long conversation at Indiana University. And then there's these two amazing retrospectives that if you're in Boston and New York, uh, the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston and Film Farm here in New York, you're nuts if you don't um, see all the beautiful prints they have of uh, Fred's film. And then on April 29th, and this is my favorite, the James Sewell Ballet will have its world premiere at the NYU Skirball Theater of a ballet based on Titty Cop Fallies, which Fred has been collaborating on. This podcast was recorded back on a very snowy Saturday in January when Fred was actually in town working on the ballet. I apologize, back in January I was still using the old equipment. Uh, there's some mic rubbing. Uh, Mr. Wiseman was a little bit more animated and moved around on his couch a little bit more than I anticipated, but we're not going to have problems like that in the future. That was the old equipment, but um, it was a long conversation. We got into how he got into documentaries, his first film, and then we did a really lengthy dive into his process uh, from choosing films to shooting and to, to editing. And as for the 25th episode of this podcast, and I'm very sincere about this, I, I literally cannot think of anybody I'd rather have on than this humble master, Fred Wiseman. What does a young man with a law degree coming back from the military what draws what draws a young Fred Wiseman to to film in the is, well, it, is it the late is it the late fifties is that is that really when uh, well I yeah I mean, after I got out of the army I got out of the army in the fall of fifty six and then I went to France for a couple of years mm -hmm. uh, and then I ran out of money and you know I was living on the GI Bill in France which was great you could live in Paris for one hundred thirty five bucks a month at that point. You're in Paris now. Can you do that now? Barely <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a day. Uh, uh, and uh, so I came home and I, I uh, got a job. Why they hired me, I don't know. But I got a job at teaching at Boston University Law School. And I, 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 I intensely disliked law school. And I never went to class. And, uh, uh, and I read novels for three years. And, and but I needed a job, so I took the job at BU, and I, I didn't like teaching law either. And I, you know, I guess I reached the witching age of 30 and figured I better do something I liked, and I was always interested in the movies. And when I was in Paris, I shot a lot of 8-millimeter and Super 8 movies, just, you know, my wife shopping or street scenes or whatever. And um, I, I decided I'd better, you know, see if I could... Um, do something about what was a real interest. And uh, so I read, I read a novel called A Cool World by Warren Miller about the kids in Harlem, and I thought that might make a good movie, but I had had no experience uh, directing. 
So, and I, and I, I liked The Connection, which is a film that Shirley Clark had made. So I called her up and asked her if she was interested. Uh, I it, it had acquired uh, the rights to the novel. Uh, and, and she was interested. And uh, so I worked on that film as a producer. And Shirley directed it. And it's, it's Shirley's film, it's not mine. Uh, and, but in the course of making that movie, I, I learned a lot about making movies. Uh, both what to do and what not to do. Uh, and so it kind of demystified the process of filmmaking for me. Mm -hmm. And when that was over, um, I, uh, I, 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 w I was always, uh, the cool world is sort of part documentary, part fiction. It has a definite, it's, it's the kids up in Harlem. It's been a while since I've seen it, but it definitely has that um, using some documentary elements, like right. trying to capture some elements right. of these, these, these right. kids' lives in Harlem set within a, a narrative structure, right? So right. I mean, the, the, the documentary footage is woven into uh, the dramatic scenes, and pra all, practically all the street scenes uh, in the cool world were shot by a terrific photographer by the name of Leroy McLucas. And I, I don't know what's happened to him. Um, he just wandered around uh, Harlem with a, ca a 16 camera. Uh, um, and uh, th those, those were cut into the, were cut into the movie. Um, but in any case, uh, that experience convinced, you know, I came away from that experience feeling that I would never work on Another movie that was my wasn't my own, um, and I had uh, when I had taught law, I had taken students uh, to field trip. I taught a course in legal medicine, and I took students on field trips to uh, places they might experience as practicing lawyers, because a lot of the students at BU Law School went on to become criminal defense lawyers. Um, and uh, so I took them to trials and parole board hearings and uh, uh, competency hearings and one thing or another. And I visited the state prison. This is, is this, this is Bridgewater. Yeah. One of the, well, the, there was a Bridgewater is a prison for the criminally insane. Mm -hmm. It's not a hospital. It's a maximum security prison for the criminally insane. I I, I took them to Bridgewater. I also took them to the regular prison and. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of the regular state prisons, uh, Walpole and, and Concord. Um, and uh, I, when I was ca casting around, I mean, I was always more interested in documentary than in fiction. And so when I was casting around to do a, my first documentary, uh, I thought, well, why not try mm -hmm. Bridgewater? Because I knew it. I knew the. I mean, I knew it a little bit, and I knew the superintendent. Uh, and so I asked him, and he said, okay, right away. But then it took a year and a half to get permission at the uh, upper levels of the bureaucracy. So, and it was during the shooting of Ticket Follies that I had the idea of doing an institutional series, because I thought what well, you could do at a prison for the criminally insane, you know, you could do it at a wide variety of places. So that, you know, 
the idea was sort of born out of that experience, and basically that's what I've continued to do. One thing, you know, we have a, we have a lot of young listeners, a lot of people getting into documentaries, and they're interested in the history of documentaries. I think one thing that's important to capture, we're, this is like, this is like, what, 60? 66. 66. And it's really only over the previous few years where, because of equipment, right, and, because, and, and, and you were certainly one of the first people who were doing this, this, this way of documentary filmmaking. That's right. I mean, I forgot the exact year, but I think somebody figured out around 1959 or 1960 yeah. uh, how to, uh, you could shoot 16 synchronous sound without the camera and the tape recorder being attached. Excuse me, I'm going to sneeze. And that made a big difference because before, you know, you, the, uh, the camera and the tape recorder were umbilically connected. Mm -hmm. um, and it, the, the uh, crystal unit, which controlled the speed of each <coughs> at 24 frames, then made it possible for you to maneuver and, and run around much more you freely. You could have like a portable recorder that was in sync. Yeah, a portable recorder. And, yeah. you know, <coughs> it was much heavier than the ones. I don't think they, I, I don't think they'd view it as portable anymore. No, no, I mean, it, it, I don't know. The Nagra, it, the Nagra yeah, I, I, I started off with the Nagra 3. I think it weighed about 14 pounds, right. you know, and it was easier to carry 14 pounds when I was 36 mm -hmm. than, uh, than it is now. Unfortunately, the tape recorders are lighter now. Uh, and and uh, uh, so that there had been a, a, a movies made using this new technology, and and so I simply you know I knew about it, and I, that's the way the follies were shot. But is that something? Is that is that something that you were seeing as you're in your early thirties and you're saying, I, you, looking for something that you're passionate about that you want to do, is, is seeing some of these films, is seeing some of the possibilities of doing this, is, is, that, is that kind of opening a door for you to think that way? Because the type of filmmaking that you were doing was something that I assume that you weren't seeing models of growing up in your teens. No, no, because you, they, didn't, yeah. they didn't exist. I mean, there were a couple of, uh, I mean, the film that I saw before I started The Follies which really uh, opened my eyes up to some of the possibilities was a film called Mooney versus Fowl, mm -hmm. or sometimes it's called high, uh, football. I've forgotten. So, in any case, it's two Miami high school football teams getting ready for the city championship. Uh, and uh, it was shot in, you know, in that style. And, you know, I, I saw that and I said, well, that, you know, that's what I want to do. I mean, that's the way I want to work. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's what I did. And so that made the film with Shirley Clark so you could learn how to learn how to do it. Well, yeah. no, I, I didn't learn. I, no, I didn't. I mean, I I, the actual production. And the actual, I mean, I, uh, I, I don't think there's much in the shooting of the cool world that was useful to me mm -hmm. in terms of the kind of films that I make. What was useful to me was to see how other people worked mm -hmm. uh, and the recognition that I could do, you know, I could work in movies right. and that there was no, despite, you know, a lot of phony baloney language and bullshit, it was hard, it was interesting work and, yeah. you know, if you, you know, 
had ideas and a minimum of intelligence, you could do it. So, so back to uh, Bridgewater, you're visiting all these places with your, with your law students, you're seeing this, you're getting this idea for these institutions, and I apologize if you said this before, but I want to focus on um, why, why was that the one that you chose, of all the institutions you were visiting, well, uh, what led, was it an opportunity or was it something Well, I mean, it, it just occurred to me that, you know, I mean, it's like so much else in making these movies. It, uh, it occurred to me that it was a good subject for a movie. I right. mean, I, I didn't sort of uh, rationally calculate what the alternative subjects <laughs> were. Uh, you know, I didn't make a list, well, and, 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 and sort of grade, mm-hmm. grade the possibilities. Ah, Bridgewater, I mean, visually fantastically interesting. Sure. Strange behavior, uh, a subject that, you know, people were, intre- you know, concerned about. Uh, people were, people and were I, talking and I, about this? And I, well, the, well, the, the, the tre- I, is it the treatment of the well, criminally uh, insane? Yeah, or? well, they were, the treatment of the criminally insane is a cyclical subject. Right. Uh, I mean, it comes up every X years because somebody dies or there's some incompetent medical treatment. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just true at, at Bridgewater, it's true everywhere. Right. Uh, uh, and so, and, and, and I mean, I still remember my first visit to Bridgewater when I took students there. Or when I actually before I took students, when I went to make the arrangements, and you know it 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 was I mean I, I I'm considerably less innocent now than I was then, but I'm like my God the fact that people were kept this way you know right I mean, it was just it was very difficult to sort of incorporate because uh, I, I it was a world that I knew nothing about so I mean and and visually of course. It, uh, yeah, well, visually is a pompous word, but from the point of view of f- pictures, it's really mm-hmm. it was spectacular. I've always there's something about that film. I mean, it's it's an amazing film, but based on what happened with that movie, I always wondered how much that experience. I, just briefly, um, you did get all the proper permission. The film was withheld. It ended up being a, a court case. I, I don't believe it really got publicly shown to like '91. Am I right about that? Uh, I think it was shown in '90. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. '89. I forgot. Oh, but, but 90, yeah. twenty plus years. Yeah. And I know. I know this was an ongoing legal battle. Um, and also the fact that you captured something. I, there was just something about. I, I always wondered how much. That element of it shaped you. I mean, you're someone who I believe still owns his own films, right? You, 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 you have your own company. You distribute and own your own films, right? And, and even just the way that you approach your subjects. I mean, how much did that experience? I mean, it had to be a horrible experience. But I mean, how much did that? Since you've now been doing this for 50 years since then, I'm wondering how much of that kind of steeled you for moving forward. Well, I, I thought the reaction of the Massachusetts authorities was so self-serving and so stupid, mm-hmm. and in an odd way, so comic, uh, that it, I, I wasn't, I was angry, but I wasn't emotionally affected. 
-hmm. I mean, if one can separate anger from emotion, mm -hmm. but uh, in the sense, I mean, it, it didn't, and I guess what I mean by that, it didn't get me down, it didn't discourage me. I thought Elliot Richardson was an asshole. He, he made, you know, ultimately he made a fool of himself uh, because he, he was my principal antagonist and he was the one that got me permission to make the movie. Uh, and he, he only turned against the movie because he thought his political career was going to be damaged. Mm -hmm. I, do you know who I mean? Yeah, there's no reason someone of your generation would know who Elliot Richardson was. I, I only simply, I know him through, simply through the, the, through the, the follies. Through the, yeah. the follies. Uh, um, but so it, 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 you know, it didn't, I mean, I wasn't uh, immobilized by it. I, if I wasn't immobilized at all, I mean, the follies trial was in the late fall of uh, 1967, right. and uh, and in the spring of 1968, I was shooting high school. Right. Well, I, uh, so I, I mean, didn't necessarily it didn't mean, get me down. No, I didn't mean get you down. But what I actually mean is, let me actually get. You are someone. I mean, now you're an institution. People now, now uh, I think people are well aware. When the New York when you went knocking on the New York Public Library's door, I, I think they were well aware of what they were getting into. When yeah, they say, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but right. they, they, what they were getting into when uh, Fred Wiseman was at their door. Uh, my, my point being is, is that you're someone who has gotten access to a lot. Not every place you've wanted, but you've gotten access to a lot right. of these institutions, right. um, and. There's an element here. I, I view you, you very much as, a, as an artist, um, and I, I. But there is an element here of almost um, have cloaking yourself in journalism in this sense of like being able to gain access of the way that you approach your subjects, um, of the way that you've been able to get access, of the way that you've been able to protect yourself from. From these problems in the future, is it? Oh yeah, I mean, I, 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 whatever vestige of naivete I had mm -hmm. was lost as a result of City Good Follies, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and and the experience really, in a sense, helped me mm -hmm. uh, because I was much. Uh, more alert to the, you know, the issues of documenting permission and and uh, uh, and I was much more aware of of uh, releases. Although I got, I had written releases for many of the people in the Follies, but I, it it it, it uh, uh, what's the cliche? I matured uh, uh, as a result of the uh, release. I think I did as a result of the. Uh, Follies experience, but um, and you know, I mean, I, I both learned a lot about from a technical point of view how to make movies, but also from the point of view of getting permission, dealing, dealing with the issues associated with releases and all that. I think, and uh, the certainly, there's some other films early in your career where you stumbled upon something a little controversial. You showed something, I, I'm thinking of the image of the, the police uh, with the dragging the, the woman, um, and, and, and certainly this, but I think there was a false impression of you for a little while that possibly you were this muckraker. That yeah, you, that I, I you, think that is a false impression. And, 
And when I see Titicatfales, what I see is this early development of you're not interested in specifically exposing or showing. You're more fascinated in the institution and what that says about and the way in the way that we handle the criminally insane and what that kind of says about in the same way that what Jackson Heights says about us, or the same way the ballet what it says about us, is that it, is that it, I, I see you in seeing that film, I see you very early developing what what it is that fascinates you, and yet at the other at the other end, it seems as if maybe your public persona was one of well, right. of muckraker. Yeah, of, I, I think um, that's a false. I mean, nobody with an ounce of uh, awareness could go into Bridgewater and think it was a great place. Right. Uh, uh, but so I mean, so the film does show the horrors of the place, but that's not the sole reason for making the film and not, you know, in a, in, I mean, the, what, what I'm interested in is, is, generally speaking, is exploring as many different aspects of human behavior mm -hmm. as I can in different contexts. And the institution is really only an excuse in the sense that it provides boundaries and rules. And a structure, uh, and, a, and a closed and, structure yeah, in, which, a, that's what I, yeah, in, in yeah, which humans yeah, are and interacting. It, and it provides limits for me, right. uh, and also ultimately for the viewer. Uh, because I, I say, this is a film of what, what takes place in this geographical area or in mm -hmm. these four walls, uh, to take the two mm -hmm. extremes. So how do you go about choosing your subjects? Well, it's, I mean, there's no, I mean, I, I it's like everything else connected with these movies. It has its rational aspects and mm -hmm. its non-rational or irrational aspects, uh, depending on how one wants to characterize it. Um, you know, making the follies, I had the idea for an institutional series, okay. So, you know, partially as a joke and whatever I thought, you know, a high school was a good subject to follow a prison for the criminally insane. Uh, and uh, and then I, I sort of somewhat systematically wanted to do, wanted to select as subject institutions that are important in the functioning of American society and have their counterparts elsewhere. I mean, because every society has schools, hospitals, prisons, uh, some form of welfare, uh, some form of the arts. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, so, on one hand, it was a way of looking at contemporary American life through institutions that are important and, by implication, have their uh, counterparts mm -hmm. elsewhere. Um, and that counterpart's important to you, right? The concept of of following one person or following, being able to look at it through. Well, what I mean, counterparts, I mean, there are pol yeah. police departments everywhere. Right. Uh, I mean, not just in America, well, but. Yeah, yeah right, yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, but I, the idea, I mean, uh, well, go ahead, ask me the question. Well, I mean, the know. idea is that the instinct of you could, you're interested in us, you're interested in us, in us as humans, that, that instinct that I think a lot of other documentary filmmakers have of, an intimate relationship with one person or one family 
for you, the you see, it seems to me that you, see, what your insight is to us, or what your where you see insight into us is is more in groups. Really, in, I think in, that's in, right. In the way of interactions. Right. Yeah, I mean, I I mean, some people make great movies about one family or yeah. one person. I mean, that just doesn't happen to be my interest. I, I, You've never even said that. I'm not. I, I don't in any way mean to suggest that yeah. th the way I work is the only way. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. yeah. But the idea of like you've never, did, did you ever contemplate like following a cop home, following a teacher home? Do no, you know, I, I, you know yeah, see, yeah. I, I, mean, I thought about it, but I didn't do it. Yeah. And I didn't do it because I thought, well, it's out, if the institution is the subject, mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's such a wide variety of choice within the context of the chosen subject, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it, if you follow a cop home or a teacher home, mm -hmm. then, you know, it, it puts, it, it puts it, the rest of it out of balance because right. it becomes too representative. Mm -hmm. Even though I'm not interested in, in representation in, in a mm -hmm. traditional sense, but uh, I, I, I wanted to avoid the, the reaction that this you know, what you see in this policeman's home mm -hmm. is typical of policeman's homes, mm -hmm. because I think that would be total phony baloney. Uh, um, but it also, it, 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 it was, I can't just think of the word, uh, it, it would make, it would ruin the sense of boundary. Mm -hmm. That that a geographical limit or a, 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 a limit of you know what goes on in a couple of buildings provides. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't do it. I mean, again, somebody else might do it very successfully. I just didn't do it. It's funny, you know, the moment I, I ironically, the moment where I became everything kind of clicked for me about your work, where I suddenly understood like all these connections, was actually ironically watching. Um, Al Maisel's last film, In Transit, who's a very different filmmaker than you. In Transit. In, in Transit, the train movie. Oh, I didn't see that. Um, he, you know, he did the Empire line. Um, he had a fascination with the connections that people made on trains. Uh, he had a bunch of other young filmmakers with him because he did five treks back and forth. I think it's like Chicago goes up north and then goes up and through the Dakotas, and I think it might even go to Seattle. And, um, you know, he was someone that followed people home, you know, in, yeah. but on this, it was very much about um, the relationships and those bonds that formed on trains. And so you became very emotionally involved with a few people in particular. This, there's this, um, this pregnant woman who's fleeing her um, abusive, I don't know, husband, boyfriend to go home to Ohio and she's ready to pop. You're wondering if the whole time she's going to be having the, um, uh, the kid on the train. And when she gets off in Ohio, I'm so used to, I'm gonna go follow her, and I didn't. We stayed in this train, and I realized it's in this train. It was so, it was at that point that I, I, I realized, because he is such a different filmmaker than you, but then I was like, that's this element of the organizing force of the fact that it's one side of the way that we interact at work, maybe a national gallery, maybe putting on a ballet, right. And that that for you is 
is is what's going to be able to give you a structure to to tell a three hour story right. without it provides with, a framework without a traditional protagonist or something right. like that. That's right, right. And, and that because it becomes too diffuse. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I mean, because if you follow, you know, if you follow a cop home, what about the secretary? Mm-hmm. Uh, or what about the chief? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's another film, really. Um. I want to make sure I have this right. It seems to me, in some of your early films, you did about four weeks of filming. But by and right. large, it looks. It seems to me, and I think you've said something. It's a, you give yourself. You, you take about six six weeks. Is that about? No. Well, it, it it recently, the films have been longer. I mean, in the beginning, the shooting was about four weeks. Uh-huh. Uh huh. They began to get, I'm just trying to think exactly. I, I think the, the Central Park was about six weeks because there was so much going on in Central Park. And then the first really long shoot was a ballet. And the reasons that was a long shoot were characteristic of uh, of the Paris Opera Ballet film, a Comédie Française film, um, and uh, National Gallery in Berkeley, and that there were ev- that there were events taking place over a longer period of time, where I wanted to see them in their early stages and in their later stages. For example, in the performance films. The ballet films, uh, the Comédie Française, uh, you, you see rehearsal. Mm-hmm. And I also wanted to see performance. Uh, and so I had to be around over a longer period of time to follow both. To events. get the arc, to get yeah, the yeah. Uh, rehearsal and performance. Um, but is it fair to say that you do? We're getting ready for Sundance. We're going to, and just reading the paragraph of some of these documentary films, followed, they give this sense of a documentary filmmaker following something along indefinitely till the story ends. You know, like spent 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 three years with this family, you know, in this kind of like endless thing, and I've always gotten this sense with your films, even just the way you described your longer ones, those longer ones had endpoints. The end point you knew going in, I'm yeah, done, well, I'm I, done, I knew I'm going done, in I'm that I needed, the, I needed the rehearsal and the performance. And, 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 and kind of seeing all of your comments, kind of going through, talking about all your films, it always seems as if, and I just wanna make sure I'm right about this, you kind of put a limit on how long you're gonna be there and you, 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 you don't, you, you know when you Well, know. It, it's not a limit that's imposed at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, I, uh, Belfast, I think the shooting was about eight weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it, that was simply a matter of getting, you know, covering a wide variety of material. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I knew soon after I started shooting the comedy, for example, that I was going to be there probably three months because I, I found out 
I mean, I, I started following some rehearsals, mm -hmm. and then I found out the dates of the performance. Mm -hmm. And the dates <laughs> of the performance were eight or nine weeks away. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and I knew that it would be interesting to see the transformation, or at least try to suggest the transformation from rehearsal to performance. But I guess my point being is, is that you are approaching these things. That now, having made as many films as you are 50 years into this, there is a, a definite limit. There is definitely a sense of you're not going to keep doing this. Oh, yeah. There's, well, there's a sense of a limit, yeah. but it's not a specific sense. Right. Because I, I mean, like so much else in this kind of movies, I have to follow my instincts. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes, uh, you know, you just, I mean, like the library movie. I mean, you could shot the library movie literally forever. How long did you film it? It took, th took three months. Okay. But again, that wasn't because I was following a rehearsal and a performance. It was just that there was so much to cover. I mean, and even with everything I covered, mm -hmm. uh, you know, thousands of other things that aren't in the film. Mm -hmm. And is it, it, it so? How many hours of footage did you end up with that? Because you usually have like a hundred, right? Something. Like it, it varies. Uh, repeat thing. Uh, some of the early films were eighty or ninety hours of rushes. Berkeley was two hundred and fifty. I mean, that's the world. That's my world record. Mm -hmm. But that's because professors like to talk, <laughs> uh, uh, and, and, you, and you go into a class or a meeting, and you got to shoot the whole class or the meeting. Uh, uh, you so, wanted out after 15 minutes? Uh, well, no. it couldn't, wasn't like my own experience. I, I couldn't risk being zoned out. Uh, but, um, uh, but the library was about 150 hours, mm -hmm. for example. And uh, La Danse was about 170. Uh, so, it, you know, it depends. We were talking before we started recording, and uh, we were talking, you know, Titicot Valleys is being made into a ballet. Um, and in both the cabaret film and ballet, which uh, it clearly is a passion of yours, part of this, and even just listening to you talk about the other films, part of this is also about movement. Part of this is that is inside those institutions is, is, that, is that sense of, um, in that way, even just that humans are interacting in that kind of, is, is, is that well, something that you're kind of sensing? Is that when you see it? Well, it's funny. I think, I think it's an interest that, that evolved because, and I think it evolved as a consequence of editing the movies myself. Because when you're editing, you, unless, I mean, in addition to trying to establish a dramatic narrative mm -hmm. story, you're making a movie. Mm -hmm. And you know, and I'm not the first to discover that movies are based on movement. Mm -hmm. uh, and and so uh, I became a very aware of, of making cuts that that were since rhythmically related to each other. Right. And the most extreme form of doing that is dance. Uh, and and I also. Not in any specific way, because I, but in a more general way, because I went to a lot of dance performances. 
I, I began, to, and, and as I began, uh, I mean, I've always been interested in, in dance performance, but uh, as I progressed in the editing of the movies, uh, I, I began to see, I began to look more specifically at the way transitions uh, were based on movement in dance and think about the more, more specifically or more consciously about the way I was trying to make transitions in, in between, both within a sequence and between the sequences in the movies. And that's, you know, that's obviously based on, on movement. So because the rhythm, establishing a rhythm of the film uh, and, and sort of tapping my foot, trying to tap my foot to what I think is the rhythm of the film became very important. I know not every day is the same, and this is probably not a fair question, but maybe we could just talk about your most recent film as an example, but what, what is, you're shooting at the public library or any of the places that you shoot, is, and I'm sure there's certain events, there's meetings, or there's things that you're trying to capture that are on the schedule. And right, you, exactly. But, but how much of it is, I'm gonna plant myself here today, or I'm gonna come look at this, I'm gonna look at this part of, you know, how much of this is, is, is trying to capture different aspects and just kind of going in and saying, I'm gonna spend a little time here today and see what I get, versus how much of it is, I want today. I'm going to get the meeting. Today, I'm going to get. Uh, I'm going to get. You know, Brenda working behind the desk. It, well, what, it's both. I mean, it's, both? It, it, I, I, it, it's hard to uh, uh, break it down into percentages, right. because both things happen every day. You know, in a place like Berkeley or the Public Library or the National Gallery or any place where there are regular meetings, you want to cover the meetings, but the meetings fortunately don't last all day, uh, and. Uh, for example, in the, in the public library, in, on, uh, in the main branch there, in the, the Schwarzman building on 42nd Street, well, there's so much activity in that, in Astor Hall, which is where you enter. So, you know, uh, just hang out there. I mean, there might have been a meeting, say, at 11, at, at, say, at 2 o'clock. Mm -hmm. So, uh, 11 o'clock, you might I might go down and hang out in Astor Hall and pick up, because I know I'm going to need cutaways. Right. But I also know that I want to show what's going on in Astor Hall. Uh, but, and I know that I need transitions, uh, because I need transitions not only to show the scope or dimensions of the building, but I also know that after a meeting that's all talk, uh, I need some quiet moments, and I need, I need shots of pictures, take, people taking selfies, or going up the stairs, or looking at pictures, or uh, photo exhibits, or whatever. So those kinds of uh, shots are accumulated all through the shooting without any real uh, knowledge on my part of if I'm going to use them, or how I'm going to use or if I do decide to use them, when and where. I just know they're important, and I know they're important because, I mean, the, the thing that, that, that's helped me most in filmmaking is editing. Right. Because when you're editing and you don't have the shots you need, you tend to remember to get 
those shots the next time you're out in a similar situation. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, but, I mean, to go back to your question, I mean, I, I know, I mean, I, 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 in the library, for example, I, I, I was given a schedule of what they call the chiefs meeting, the chiefs of the various sections. So, say Wednesday morning at 9.30, there's a chiefs meeting, so I had my little notebook. I'm instantly I'm thinking of National Gallery. Now I'm instantly thinking of, 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 of public well, library is going to be, is going to, I'm thinking of. All right, uh, National uh, Gallery. Yeah. Well, the, no, no, the, no, no, the, no, no, no. I want to know about public library, but it's, it's funny. Well, but it's the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I know there was an executive committee meeting yeah. at the National Gallery right. every, say, I've forgotten, Tuesday right. at 10 o'clock. So yeah. I showed up right. because I had permission to show up. Uh, and, but at the same time, uh, National Gallery, I was very interested in rest the restoration mm-hmm. process, and I was interested behind the scenes. So I didn't make an appointment. I mean, sometimes I made an appointment if I knew that a particular task was being performed, but often I just went up there and what's going on? Because you leave yourself very open, and you've said this before, that you don't do a ton of prep. You don't do a ton of research or going in. No, I don't. You really want to Well, I mean, because I think the shooting is the research. I mean, I really believe the shooting is the research. Because you know, for instance, in Jackson, in, if I had been in Jackson Heights walking along around the street, the day those Southern Baptist ladies were there cleaning the sidewalk and a woman came up and said, will you pray for my father? Mm-hmm. I, I would have been beside myself to have observed it but not had a chance to shoot it. Mm-hmm. And, but getting it was sheer chance mm-hmm. because I, you know, I happened to be there. I heard these ladies talking with a southern accent. I wondered what they were doing there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I saw them, you know, with their little brushes and, 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 and sweeping the street. Mm-hmm. And suddenly this other woman appeared. So they just continued shooting. Going to, going to National Gallery and uh, Public Library, at this point, are, are you, when you're having these conversations, I, I, I want to do a film about the public library, I want to do a film about the National Gallery, how deep does that conversation go in terms of restrictions, in terms of access? On my part? Well, well, I assume, well, on both of your parts, though, I mean, do you, do, well, is, uh, that, is, that, is that a, a deal breaker for you? Do you need to feel, do they, do you need to have? I, I, I have to feel that I have access to everything. So you could do that exploring? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm very explicit about that and I reduce it to writing. But within the context of having access to everything, I also make it clear that I have no God-given right mm-hmm. to have access to specific things. If somebody doesn't want to be photographed, uh, or say at Berkeley, uh, is a meeting about somebody's tenure, which is a very private sure. uh, conversation, I, I neither expect nor demand uh, permission. But, but with those exceptions, yeah, though, but, yeah, that, but, right. but that ability to kind of roam and explore. Right. Right. And I, I, I don't uh, allow any uh, pri- uh, subsequent review. Uh, At Berkeley, for example, I. Uh, I gave them the right to, for 48 hours, to tell me that they would request that I didn't use something. Right. Uh, 
And the only time they exercised that was when they made, they exercised it a few times, but it was the same sort of event when somebody said something nasty mm -hmm. about a California politician. Uh, and and I, I mean, that, that's perfectly reasonable yeah, sure. because they're dependent on the state for yeah. their money. Right. Uh, and uh, and I, I had no I, you know, wish yeah. to embarrass them in that regard. I, I want to jump into anything, but before, I just want to make sure, I, for the last few films, how, you shooting, is it, how many people? Is it you? Is it, is it's it, me and two others. Two others. Yeah. Someone doing sound? No, no. I, I direct and do the sound and I work with a cameraman. So you're still doing the sound? Yeah. And you're directing? And, 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 and I have a cameraman and there's a third person that carries the extra equipment okay. and does Helps change it, changes yeah. the lenses. Keeps you mobile, keeps, keeps you going. Mobile. Yeah, right. And that's important for you to be able to direct and not do the kit. It needs. It, that's important for you to be. Separate. It's very important because I, it gives me much more flexibility to to d decide what to shoot, and uh, uh, and and how to move around within within a uh, within an event. You need to be able to see. I need to be able to see, see and not be focused yeah, on right, the exactly. frame. You need to and be the camera. I. I have one eye on what's going on, one eye on the cameraman, he has one eye on me and one eye on the lens. Right, okay. Um, now editing is obviously where you are really structuring this film, but also kind of building in your point of view and your, your what. Um, you know, I've, I'm probably the last generation that cut on a steam back. You know, I'm, you know, or cut on a flatbed, or yeah. Yeah. oh, well, good, you know what? It yeah. is. As I watch your films, and they have these wonderful rhythms, but you let them develop, and there's 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 a time, and there's 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 a way that that you're, you 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 piece together your films, and it's wonderful, but, and maybe I'm I'm, I'm drawing too much of a connection, but to me that's a product of having cut for however long you did on a, on a, on a flatbed, that element of, I, I feel like nowadays in the, in the nonlinear digital editing world, it, it's, it's try this, try this, and it's, it's putting a whole bunch of things together. Whereas there's something about the execution of your films and I'm sure you're not still cutting on a flatbed. Oh, no. I know you're no. shooting digitally, but there's something about that element of the kind of, I don't want to say the slowness or the pace or the deliberateness of choices that I feel like is, is, is maybe a product of, of having edited like that. And I'm not sure. It's hard to, uh, sorry, I interrupted. You know, I'm just wondering though, because now you do cut the other way. I'm wondering, is well, I don't, think, I don't think the films are any different. They're not. But I'm just wondering if that, that mindset of having... Well, I don't know. Was, I mean... Do you understand where I'm... Yeah, I understand the question, but I, uh, I'll answer it in a couple of ways. Somebody once wrote a review of one of my films saying it would have been a much better film had I edited it on an Avid system. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really funny mm -hmm. because it was so ignorant. Right. Because it assumed that the, the system or the machine made the choices. Right. 
and I mean, whether I'm editing on a Steenbeck or an Avid, I'm making the choices. Right. And the choices, you have the opportunity on the Avid to have the choices present themselves faster. I mean, because you can recover material, yeah, yeah. boom, 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 and there you are. Whereas in Steenbeck, you had to go to the wall, bring the roll down, thread it up, roll it down to what you were looking for. There's something very deliberate about it. But, but that wasn't wasted time. I mean, uh, at least it wasn't wasted time for me because while I was going to the wall to find the roll of film, I was thinking about what I might find or what the choices are. When I was r rolling down to find the sequence that I allegedly was going to work on, I was also um, automatically reviewing material that either preceded it or came after it mm -hmm. uh, in order to, f depending on whether the role was backward or forward. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, uh, I mean, editing choices are deliberate choices that have, that have uh, nothing to do with technology. The fact that the choices are more immediately accessible mm -hmm. is not necessarily a good thing. That's what I... I because, I, you, I mean, the, 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 the choice should be a function of thought. Right. And that's I, mean, I, I, I mean, it doesn't take me any less time to edit on uh, Avid than it did in the mm -hmm. Steam Deck. Mm -hmm. I mean, it still takes me, you know, close to a year. You watch all your footage. What, what, in, you, you've talked about this before plenty of times about finding dramatic structures, finding ways to, to shape this and, and give it a dramatic structure. What, and it seems as if you're going into post-production with a, a fairly blank slate, fairly open mind about uh, it. As far as I'm concerned, completely open mind. Yeah. So what is that after you, I assume you watch everything. Is that what you do? Is that is that the first? You, assume you, you watch everything. Yeah, you, you of watch course. It? Yeah. Um, so after you've watched everything, what what is that process? Are you starting to think, um, almost structure wise, note cards, um, outlines, or are you starting to think of little? Are you starting to think of it in terms of possible sections, possible? Neither. What are you doing? After I review all the footage, I, I you know. Not physically, but in my, I mean, I, I, I sort of make lists of sequences that I think I might use. Mm -hmm. And usually that means I put aside for about 50% of the material. Mm -hmm. And then uh, for about six or seven months, I just edit individual sequences. Really? Okay. With no thought except the random thought of this may go with this. Which if I have that kind of thought, I just make a note of it. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't think, formally think about structure at all while I'm editing individual sequences. And it's only when I've edited all the sequences that I think I might use in the film mm -hmm. that I begin to work on the structure. Do and at that point, I make the first assembly even a very short period of time, three or four days, because all the sequences I think I might use are in close to final form. So I can, f I can try this, I can begin this way, and if I don't like it, I can change mm -hmm. it. You know, it's, it's, it's short, it's easy to do. Uh, I mean, if you have the ideas, it's easy to do. <laughs> Sometimes you don't have the ideas. Um, and then 
that first version of the film usually comes out to about three quarters of an hour longer than the final version. And then it takes me about six or eight weeks to arrive at what I think is the final version. And, that, that's, and that's mainly that's fiddling with the order of the sequences, finding the structure, uh, finding the, the dramatic arc, so to speak. Uh, and, uh, uh, and then, uh, I mean, that's fiddling with the first assembly. And, but part of the fiddle is to work on the, um, the internal rhythm within a sequence mm -hmm. and also the external rhythm, i.e. The, the, the transitions between the sequences. I mean, and sometimes I in the, sen in the sense that this scene has its own pace and rhythm and it's playing, but suddenly in between two other scenes, we now you now have to get the the, the rhythm. Yeah. So that well, I mean, you you may need a you may need a uh, a quiet moment. It may be a very dramatic scene, uh, like after the kid throws up uh, serial vomiting in in the hospital. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't want to go to a, uh, another very dramatic scene. You need a quiet. You know, mm -hmm. you need a. It may only be a sixty second uh, or ninety second, but you know, sort of random shots to sort of. Digest, if that's the right word to use after serial vomiting, <laughs> uh, what you've previously seen, um, and, and and sometimes a sequence is I edit a sequence with a beginning and a middle and an end, but when it's placed in relation to other sequences, I find I no longer need the beginning because the same material is covered more adequately than something else. Mm -hmm. So, in cutting that forty-five, you're assembling it. That assembly is somewhere close to an hour longer than what the final product is. Is is losing that forty-five minutes or so more? How much of that is eliminating sequences? Versus well, some of it is eliminating duplication. Some of it is eliminating stuff that I don't think works. Uh -huh. uh, some of it is is um, uh, seeing possibilities of shortening. Mm -hmm. Because it's, it's an odd thing. I mean, I, I might edit uh, a meeting, mm -hmm. and I think it's really okay. And then when I put it, when I've got the assembly together, well, it's, there are parts of it that I didn't recognize mm -hmm. initially as being unnecessary or being repetitive. So if I have the cutaways, if I find a way of reducing it, mm -hmm. I do. And that through line... I'm fascinated by this because you're thinking about it in terms of individual individual scenes. Do you also find, and, and, and you're also talking about the transitions between the scenes, but is that a, how about the beginning, middle, end, the kind of like getting Well, the dramatic the structure. I mean, that, yeah. that's something I, I, I try and think about a lot. And, so and you're, in, in assembling those sequences, you're also thinking of those as pieces of the dramatic structure. So yeah. In, so in a sense, you're already... No, yeah, when, when I'm... When I'm I mean, you know, when I'm starting, I mean, I've said this before, so forgive me, but I mean, the, the, the way it works for me, and, I, uh, and I'm sure it works differently for everybody, is that I, I think of both the literal and the abstract. Mm -hmm. and, and, it, and it's in, in, in uh, both within a sequence and between the sequences, and between the beginning of the film and the end of the film. So what 
what is literally going on in a sequence and what ideas are suggested by the literal aspects of the sequence, what, what more general ideas are suggested mm -hmm. by it. <coughs> and, that, and, and I think that the movie takes place in, in the sort of the bridge or the ladder between the, the literal and the abstract or the metaphoric, if, if you will. Uh, and and I, I work very hard on that because I'm not, uh, I mean, I saw a movie last night, which I won't name, which was, which was so literal. I mean, there, there were no ideas being suggested. And so it, it was like, it was behaviorism. It was, it, was be, it was a movie about behavior. And it wasn't very interesting. Uh, and I, I think to make, for at least to me, to make an inter a movie interesting, there has to be the, the specific encounter, the, the choice and the arrangement of the specific encounters has to suggest something beyond the specifics, the literal specifics of, of, the, of the exchange. It's 50 years of, of Fred Wiseman and your, your first film, Titty Cop Follies. You are taking part in turning that into a ballet. Right. That has to be a lot of fun. Oh, it's, it's a great <laughs> knowing, deal of fun. Knowing your love of ballet. Well, and, and also and I have no responsibility <laughs> uh, except to kibitz, <laughs> right. uh, which is great. And I like the world of dancers and choreographers. No, uh, I'm working with a very good choreographer. The name of James Sewell, who has mm -hmm. his own dance company, and and we uh, we we selected uh, I forgot, sixteen or seventeen mm -hmm. sequences from the film, which are being turned into uh, an hour and twenty minute ballet, and but the effort is not to um, reproduce in ballet terms the the sequences from the film, but rather to take some of the ideas that are suggested mm -hmm. both the film and the sequences within the film and transform them into dance. Um, and th so that I, I, neither James or I have any interest in, in, in uh, you know, literally having a forced feeding on the stage mm -hmm. uh, or, or dancing a forced feeding, however you might do that. Uh, but to the ideas involved, in, in, in a forced feeding and, tra and transforming that and telling, explaining or expressing, not explaining, but mm -hmm. expressing those ideas in terms of body movements. And you're done with the library film. We'll see that next year. Mm -hmm. You're done with the library film. Yeah, I'm done with the library. I finished the mix and the color grading just about a month so, ago. So the, the ballet will be here in New York in April. The ballet will be on at the Scoreball Theater at NYU at the three performances, April 28th, 9th, and 30th. Okay, and we'll see library, the public? The library, I don't know yet. I just, yeah. you know. Sometimes. I, I send, you just begun to send it out yeah. to possible, you know, we, I have to do the film festival route. And, right. uh, uh, um, and do you know what's next? I don't, no. I, I've got to start thinking about that, but I've been so busy finishing, um, uh, the library and and I've been very involved in the ballet movie, so I, at this I haven't had time to do it. I've got to do that. At this point, is it a matter of from having made so many of these and 
having thought about what works and having been so engaged in the world for the last 50 years, is it at this point a bucket list of like you have all these ones that you want to do, well, wanna I, do I, I, or is yeah, it, is it I, I, discovery? It's, it's not as full as a bucket list, yeah. but it, it, I have ideas for other movies. Yeah. But I mean, there's an uh, inexhaustible supply. Right. I mean, I mean, I guess searching versus like pursuing things that you've been thinking about. Do you know well, what I mean? I mean but, but it's always a, con I mean, it's some a of it's chance. I mean, you know, my favorite story is I was in a dentist's office one day, which is the only place I ever read People magazine, and there was an article about a model agency. You know, and I was 48, and I figured it was a good time to do a movie about a model agency. Uh, so uh, I called up a couple of model agencies, and I got permission from the Zoli agency. Mm -hmm. I mean, but you know whether I would have done a model agency had I not been in the dentist's office that day, I mm -hmm. don't know. On the other hand, there's some things that I have on a, you know, sort of life list. Mm -hmm. Waiting for the right opportunity. Hmm? Waiting for the right opportunity. Waiting, well, waiting for permission, the right opportunity, you know. Mm -hmm. But I'll, the choice of subject matter is, is often chance. I mean, I always wanted to do an art museum, and I tried to do the Met in the 80s, and they wanted to get paid, and I can't do that. Right. Uh, uh, and so I didn't do a museum, and then I w uh, was at a ski resort in Switzerland, and I met, there was a woman there who was a friend of a friend of mine, and she worked at the National Gallery. And she'd seen some of my movies, and she said, are you ever interested in doing a movie about an art museum? And I said, yeah, and I, I told the story that I met, and she said, well, come to London, and I'll introduce you to that of the National Gallery. So obviously, mm -hmm. I went as soon as I could, like, couple of weeks later to London and met uh, the guy who was the head of the National Gallery and he said yes, right, right away. Does funding play a role in making these choices? I know, I know that early in your career the Ford Foundation. Ford Foundation has been, over the long haul, has been one of my principal funders. I mean. Uh, but there was a period where you just you just made what you wanted and you knew well, that all, I yeah. always made what I wanted. No, but the money was just there. Do you well, know, that, I, I, there was a period from 1971 to 1981, the Ford Foundation gave me two five-year grants. Right, that's the period I was talking about, right? Oh, it was heaven. <laughs> right. Because all I, you know, I, I, I just had to say uh, X and I'd get half the money. Mm -hmm. And I get the other half when I delivered the film. I mean, I, I was working with Channel 13 then, so all I had to do was call up Channel 13 and say, Juvenile Court, they said okay. Mm -hmm. They sent me, Ford had previously given them the money. Uh, they sent me a check for half of it. Mm -hmm. I made the film and I got the other half. That was, you know, mm -hmm. nirvana. Uh, now, since 1981, I'm in the same position as everybody else. Everybody thinks it's easy for me to get money, but it isn't. I mean, I have to sing for my supper like everybody else does. Um, I mean, I know where to go, uh, and I ultimately get it, but it's not easy. Mm -hmm. All right. Frederick Wiseman, uh, one, of the, one, of the, well, one of the greatest filmmakers ever. Um, thank you. And, well, uh, thank you. I appreciate you doing it. Um, it's nice to have a long interview. 50, 50 years. Of making yeah, that, it, it seems like, I mean, what's the cliche? It seems like yesterday, but it does. Well, you're making a ballet of the first movie, so it must really seem like yesterday. What? You're making a ballet of your movie that from 50 years ago, so yeah. it must seem like yesterday. So it's a yeah, right, right. <laughs> it's a nice turn of the circle, so to speak. Thank you, sir. Thank you.